Hello, and welcome to the Activate Podcast. My name is Jillian Pelkey, and it's my hope and prayer that through this Activate Podcast that our faith would be activated as we explore the Bible together, and that our very lives would be activated as we apply the Bible, as we serve God, and we love people. If you'd like to hear more podcasts from Activate, you can search Jillian Pelkey on youtube.com, soundcloud.com, or on iTunes. Before we get right into the topic today, let's pray, and then we'll dive right into the Word of God together. God, I thank you that you are holy. God, I thank you that you are perfect, that we can look to you and we can see perfection, that we can look to you and we can see everything good, that you truly are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. You are everything that we need. God, you are wisdom. God, you are faithfulness. God, you are our peace. You are our strong tower. We can run to you and be safe. Lord, I thank you that you are our all in all. And today we rest in your grace. We rest in your mercy. We rest in your unfailing love. We thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you are the friend that sticks even closer than a brother, and that you are here for us every season of our lives. So God, today we turn our hearts, we turn our attention, and we set ourselves before you to hear a word from you. God, as we open the word, I pray that we would be able to apply it to our lives. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Today we're going to be talking about the subject of sin and forgiveness. And this subject is so important because it is really the basis of salvation. The basis of our salvation is the confession of our sins and the belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God who came to take away our sins. And many times we go about our Christianity and we hear and dive into that subject of sin and we... um, really think on it when we first become Christians. And then as we go through our Christian walk and our Christian life, our major sins kind of dwindle in the, in in the far past. And we're, we're looking at living lives that don't have any glaringly obvious sins to other people. And so many times we forget that we are still in need of a savior we feel saved. We don't feel like we're in need of a savior anymore. And usually it takes a hardship or a something to rock our regular everyday life to bring us back to that realization of how much we need Jesus Christ, how much we are indebted to Jesus. And so uh, apathy creeps in. And when apathy creeps in, right, right behind it comes pride. Right behind our apathy comes pride because our apathy makes us complacent, makes us think that things are just fine. And it puts us to a place where we elevate ourselves higher than we actually should be. And we forget how much we need our mighty, all-powerful, amazing God. And we just think for a minute that we kind of have it together. And pride just creeps right in. And pride says, You're better than another person. Pride is what speaks to us and says, uh, you should get things your way in your church. You should get things your way in your family. You should get things your way at your job. You, you, you are so important. And what Jesus teaches us is the opposite. He teaches us that as we wash other people's feet, as we become a servant, then we're great. But what happens in our apathy is we become prideful and we elevate ourselves. There is no point in our lives, there's no situation ever where we need to elevate ourselves. The Bible says when you go into a meeting, sit in the back and wait for them to tell you to move to the front. Don't ever go 
in and assume that you're so wonderful because really that's up to the Lord to elevate it. It's up to the Lord. It says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So I want to talk a little bit about the subject of sin. I want to look back at Leviticus. I want to look forward to the book of Romans in the New Testament. But let's take a look at this and realize that maybe, just maybe, we've forgotten that we're sinful. Maybe, just maybe, when we spend time in prayer, when we spend time before the Lord, we can allow Him to reveal things to us. We can say, God, is there anything? Is there any area of my life I'm, I'm not seeing? Is there anything I don't notice? And I guarantee there is a long list, but our God is kind. There is a, a long list of things that each one of us needs to change because you think of a holy God and you think of you. And the minute you think that you even come close to God, that's when you've let apathy and pride seep into your life. When you have an honest, raw look at God and yourself, you know that the list is long of things that that God can help you with because he is holy and we really are not. We really are not. The intentions of our hearts, the motives behind why we do things or don't do things or speak to certain people, our motives can be way off. And so we need the Holy Spirit to reveal things to us. And that's why the Bible is so great because as we read it, we can see a picture of ourselves and and the things that we need to change. So um, I would encourage you to spend time today Spend time today in the presence of God. Spend time today asking God, where am I at? What is it? Lord, search my heart. Know me. Know if there's any evil thing in me, any evil desires in me, and show me how to walk in righteousness. Let's take a look at the book of Leviticus uh, in chapter 1. Here we are where Moses has led the people of God, the called out nation of God, Israel, out of Egypt, out of slavery. And now Moses is meeting with God face to face. And God is giving giving Moses the instructions of how to live as a nation called out, separated unto God. Now, this is before Jesus. This is before the coming of our Savior. And so he is giving us a foreshadow. He's setting up these this blueprint and these rules of a foreshadow for when Jesus comes, he's going to bring us a new covenant. So we're talking today in Leviticus, this old covenant, the way things were, which were a foreshadow of Jesus coming. So he's giving him these, these rules And he talks about in chapter one, he says, I will remove the person's sin so he will belong to God. I will remove the person's sin so he will belong to God. That tells us that before the sin is removed, the person does not belong to God. We can't belong to God and be full of sin. That's what makes Jesus so amazing because he's taking our sins away and washing us white as snow. So he's saying if in in this new setup that that the Lord God will remove their sins and they can belong to God. So he gives them all the different ways that they are going to have their sin removed. And most of those require them to bring a sacrifice to the high priest. And the high priest is the only mediator between the common man and God. And so the high priest is the one who can go in and meet with God, offer the sacrifices, and the sacrifice of blood will remove the sin of the people and let them be close to God. And we're going to look at Leviticus chapter 4 over and over. It says these words. Um, It's in verse 20, verse 26, verse 31, and again in verse 36. It says this, and the Lord will forgive them. And then it says, and the Lord will forgive them. And then it says, you'll guess it, and the Lord will forgive them. And then lastly, it says, and the Lord will forgive them. He's, and in chapter 5, it says he'll, it'll remove the person's sin so he will belong to God. 
and the Lord will forgive them. In the end of chapter 6, it says, And the priest will perform the acts to remove the person's sin, so he will belong to the Lord, and the Lord will forgive him for the sins that made him guilty. So they had their whole process all the way over in verse 8 again, or in chapter 8 again, it says, You remove the sins, and then you will belong to him. We look at chapter 10 in Leviticus, and we come to this story. This is the story of Aaron, who's Moses' older brother. He is set up as the high priest. He's the one, the one, that can go between all these people. Remember, it was about a million people. He was the one guy who could go in before the Lord and bring the sacrifices. But also everyone in his family were priests as well, and they were allowed to to do different things in the tent of meeting. They were in charge of different things. Uh, his And so listen to this in verse 10. Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their pans for burning incense. They put fire in them, and they added incense. But they did not use the special fire Moses had commanded them to use. So fire came down from the Lord and destroyed Nadab and Abihu. They died in front of the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord was speaking about when he said, I must be respected as holy by those who come near me. Before all the people, I must be given honor. So in this account, we see that God really is holy, that he was serious, that uh, even the sons of the high priests were not um, exempt from having to be holy unto the Lord. And they were just doing what they felt like doing instead of following uh, the exact letter of the law by following the exact rules and regulations set out for them. They were doing something different. And so the Lord instantly killed them. So we're looking again back at the Old Testament, and we see the seriousness of sin, the seriousness of how holy God is. We look again uh, into Leviticus in chapter 16, and it talks about how Aaron, as the high priest, had this job to do. It says, uh, Aaron will bring a goat alive to the Lord. He will put both his hands on the head of the living goat. Then he will confess all the sins and crimes of Israel over the goat. In this way, Aaron will put the people's sins... On the goat, they, they will send the goat away into the desert, and there will be a man appointed will lead the goat away. So the goat will carry all the people's sin on itself. It will go to a lonely place in the desert, and the man who leads the goat, goat will let it loose there. How interesting. So they confess all their sins over this goat and then send it away. And then the sins don't belong to the people anymore. And it says this, He will remove sins from himself and the people so that they will belong to the Lord. The people will again belong to the Lord. You must do this to remove your sins so that you will belong to the Lord. It is the blood that removes the sins from your life so you will belong to the Lord. I'm sure you see a pattern here that God wants to forgive them. He gives them specific instructions on what to do, and then he can be close to them. Some of the consequences for not obeying the Lord, for not confessing your sins, uh, were detailed as well in Leviticus. But he talks about something that I really want to hit on, and uh, we've all been in a place of sin before. Every single one of us listening to this podcast, everyone in the history of time is not exempt from sin. It says there's no sin that is not common to man and left to our own devices and without direction and without encouragement from other people and from the Holy Spirit, we are led down a life of sin. 
it's shown again and again through the Bible. We see it in other people's lives a lot easier than we see it in our own lives, but it's in our own lives too. And the Lord wants to bless us. In Chronicles, it says, the eyes of the Lord search the earth, looking for one, just one, looking for one who is completely his. And from the beginning of creation, God's been looking for and desiring a people that will be holy unto him, that will make themselves holy because he is holy. And continually, we we choose the wrong path. In Jeremiah, he uh, outlines for the people, he says, here's the, the path of goodness, choose that. Or you can choose the, the path that leads to a darkness and sadness and ruin. And people again and again, choose the side that, that leads to ruin. In um Second Kings in, in the, the account of Elijah, he says to a group of people, he says, if God's God, choose, choose, serve God. If Baal is God, serve Baal, but pick who you're going to serve. And the people said nothing. They didn't jump on the side of the Lord. They said nothing until he showed them the miracles of God. And then they repented. And then they came back to the Lord. But we are like every other generation. We want to be different. We want to be unique. We want to be set apart. But we are just like every other generation, and we are prone to sin like every other generation. So the Lord talks about what will happen to the people who don't repent of their sins, that don't bring their offerings to the priests. He said, your lives are not going to be good. And it's detailed in Leviticus 26, but this verse in in, uh, verse 37 sticks out. It says, um, that the people who don't serve the Lord, they will run as if someone is chasing them with a sword. They will fall over each other, even though no one is chasing them. You will not be strong enough to stand up against your enemies. That's what happens in the Old Testament when you sin. But that's also what happens in the New Testament and today when you sin. When we live lives of sin, of continual sin, of running away from the Lord, we are running as if someone's chasing us, but nobody's really chasing us. Sin leads to death. Uh, Recently, I was reading a book that said um, that it's the little sin, that beginning sin that really gets you, that you have to to run away from. That that little sin can be the worst ever. And he talks about the example of um, at first you just sit next to a drunkard. You just sit next to the drunkard. And that right there should be the thing you're most afraid of. That first point of contact with sin is what you should be most afraid of because the next ones lead to each other and lead to the next and lead to the next and lead to the next. So first you sit with the drunkard and then you sip, sip with the drunkard. And then you drink with the drunkard. And then you're drunk with the drunkard. And then, and then, and then, and then your life falls apart and then you die. And I'm not saying that every drink leads to death, but as an example of how sin develops, uh, that's just the case. It's that first choice to walk towards sin that we should be most afraid of. We should run away from sin. In Job, he was trying to prove himself to his friends who were accusing him. And he said, I put on righteousness like a robe. Every day when I get dressed, I put it on. I put on righteousness. And that should be our our goal is that every day we should put on righteousness and we should flee from sin. We should run away from it because it's even those first little things. It's the first thoughts, the, the lust of the mind in our mind when we start to lust. We need to stop it there so it doesn't lead to the next step and the next step and the next step because sin is fun for a season, but in the end, and it ends in death. No matter what, there is no sin that leads to life and joy. Every sin leads to death. Every sin's end goal is death for your life. 
And righteousness's end goal is, is joy and heaven. So when we're choosing which way to go, we have to look back at the example we have of the Israelites. We have to look back at the example of people we know that sin leads to death. And it's that first sin that you have to run away from with everything within you. So Leviticus, you needed a sacrifice. You needed to follow the law. God says, if you don't follow the law, if you're not repentant, then you're going to be running around. You're going to be chased with no one even following you. You're going to look foolish. You're not going to be strong enough to stand against your enemies. There is none of us that are strong enough to stand against our enemies alone. That's why God has created the church. That's why God gave us Jesus. Jesus stands against every enemy. It's not me. I can't stand up to sin and be victorious. My victory comes from Jesus Christ alone. And we're going to look at that in Romans. It's through his blood shed on the cross. It's through him taking on my sins that I'm able to stand against my enemy. If I I think for a minute that I am stronger than sin, that I am fooling myself, I am not stronger than sin but I hide. I hide behind Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. I hide behind him and I'm clothed in his righteousness. I look like Jesus because I'm standing behind him. I look like him because he's taken on my sins. And we see in Leviticus how they had a goat that they put all their sins on. Well, now we know who we put our sins on. We put our sins on Jesus and they belong to him now. My sins don't belong to myself. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me my sins and to cleanse me from all, 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 all unrighteousness. And then I stand forgiven and set free and able to be like a tool in the hands of God to be used for victory, for life, for goodness, for things that are just and pure and merciful. I can be all that God created me and designed me and fashioned me to be when I confess my sins and I repent and turn from them. Jesus takes on those sins, just like the goat in Leviticus. He takes my sins, wanders away and and is gone for me. My sins are no longer. They are completely set free. But here's the thing. We have to confess our sins. We have to put our sins on that goat like Leviticus. That's a foreshadow of Jesus. And when we tell Jesus our sins and we repent of our sins, they're gone. They're gone. And, and so, so many foreshadows here that, that God wants to be with us. So we're going to look at Romans chapter eight and it's, uh, we're going to start right in verse one. Oh, you're, you're going to love this. All right. First, we need to recognize that we have sin. And once we recognize how ugly and how dark sin is, that it only leads to death, we can take that sin and confess it to the Lord. And then this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but live according to the spirit. Jesus came and fulfilled this this law in Leviticus. For what the law was powerless to do, God did through Jesus. And now all of our sins are forgiven. Let's move on to Romans 8, 5. It says, those who live according to the flesh, 
have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile towards God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. Those who are living sinful lives cannot please God. Those who are living in sin cannot please God. Do you see in Leviticus how uh, the sons of Aaron were killed instantly? Because God is holy. He is still that same holy God from Leviticus. He's put Jesus as that bridge between us and him. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is the shepherd. He's the one that, that, that calls us to himself, that takes on our sins. But if we don't repent of our sins, if we don't put our sins on him, there, then we cannot please God. We have to be sinless to be in the presence of God. And that free gift is available. But here's what we do. We live in apathy. We live in pride. And we forget that we are sinners. We forget that there could be anything evil in us. But continually, daily, we need to confess our sins to the Lord so that He can take them like that goat into the wilderness and they could be washed away. But we cannot live lives of sin and think that we are pleasing God. We cannot live lives of sin and think that we are pleasing God. Verse 9, Romans 8, 9, You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, then they don't belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because His Spirit lives lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body and you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, by Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. There's a whole lot to say right there to share in the sufferings of the Lord. Then we share in his glory, sharing in his sufferings. You think about Jesus as the, the, the spotless lamb, Jesus as the perfect person. And yet he withstood so much condemnation and hatred and unfair treatment. So shall we, right? So, so shall we, because we are sinful people. How much more will the world hate us? How much more will the, the world cast stones at us? All right, but let's finish uh, uh, Romans 8. It says in verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
Creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. How do you know that you're a child of God? Because you've put to death your sinful nature and you've become alive in the spirit. How do you become alive in the spirit? You confess your sins to him who's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. As soon as you continue that lifestyle of confession, that lifestyle of turning from sin, then you are a child of God. And even all of creation, from the angels to the earth, to the trees, to the animals, And especially the people are eagerly waiting for the children of God to be revealed because the children of God are able to do mighty things. Why? Because they're righteous, mighty children of God. Everybody is waiting for you to come to life. Everybody is waiting for you to get your life right with God. Those who are in the realm of flesh cannot please God. So I would encourage you today, to change your life so that you can please God. Everybody is waiting for you. You have a job to do. You have good works that God has put inside of you for you to do. But you have to turn from sin so that you can be released into the thing that God has asked and and, and fashioned you to do. All right, verse 20. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. What hope? Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That's verse 26, Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. And here it is, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So listen, God loves you and God has called you according to his purpose. Everyone, that's true for everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So this applies to you. We know that all things, that in all things, God works for the good of you because you love him and you've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to conform to the image of his son, that he may be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. All right, so here's, here's the best parts coming up. We have every opportunity to be free from sin. We have to recognize that sin is bad. It separates us from God. It separates us from the calling that we have. It leads to misery and death, not only in ourselves, but for those around us. But we have an opportunity to have life in the Spirit. We have an opportunity to hide behind Jesus Christ Himself. And now this, this is Romans 8.31, and we're going to close here. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is... God is for us. Who can be against us? He didn't even spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for you, for your sake, we face death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is the best Ever. That's the best thing that we could hear. I would encourage you to read Romans and Romans chapter 8, the whole thing again and again, because it reminds us that this opportunity is right before us. All we need to do is confess our sins, and God will, will not only use us, but He seals us in Himself. We are adopted as sons and daughters of the King. And then there is literally nothing that could separate us from him. And the last thing I want to touch on is that um, there is no more condemnation. Nobody can condemn us. So if you've sinned and you confess your sin to God, then it doesn't matter what anybody else says. There's a freedom in that. You know, um, in my life, I've confessed my sins to the Lord. And you know what that brings in my life? When I have a sin that is weighing heavy on me or sin that's just evil and ugly and nasty, and I confess it to the Lord, and I find true forgiveness, then guess what? I am free. I am free. And one way that I know that I'm free, that I'm not scared if someone finds out about my sin, because it's already taken care of between me and and the Lord. I'm not afraid to share my sin with somebody else so that they can be encouraged to know that they can get beyond it. I've met with so many people who, when I talk about my story and the things that have happened in the timeline of my life and the sins that I've, I've, I've been through and the things that I've come out of, it gives them freedom. And they say, oh, I've hidden that for so long. I won't tell anyone about it. When we confess our sins, we're free and we're, it, it's easier and easier to talk about it and to help others find freedom in it. It's no longer something that we carry because just like we put it on a goat, we put it on Jesus. He took it away. And so I can freely say I once struggle, struggled with, with this certain thing, but now I'm free. And you can be free too. It's not that we carry any shame with us. In Psalms, it talks about how uh, no longer is there even a shadow of shame on their faces. Not even a shadow of shame. And that's how I feel with Jesus. I don't even have a shadow of shame. And though there's places that I've been and things that I've done that are ugly and sinful, I don't carry it anymore. And so my, my uh, accuser can come straight to my face and say, I know what you've done. And I can say, that's fine, but, but that's over. I'm forgiven. My slate is washed clean. So yes, I've been there, but God delivered me and he can deliver you too. And there's freedom in Jesus. There's freedom for you today. There's no sin that's not common to man. You are not isolated as the only one who has ever done this sin. Confess it to the Lord. Find freedom so that you can bring freedom and joy into yourself, life and peace. And then you can bring life and peace to other people. I remember a moment in time when I was confessing a sin to the Lord. This is when... um, my husband and I, before we got married, we were in Bible college. I was entering my senior year of Bible college, and my husband and I at the time, we were not married. We were dating, and I found out that I was pregnant. So I'm pregnant in my senior year of Bible college, and 
we had talked to the president of the school and we were preparing to leave school and we didn't know what was going to happen. This was a very uh, hard moment in my life, a, a real life-defining moment. And I drove my car to a park down the road from school because everybody knew. Everyone knew that I was pregnant. Everyone knew that we were getting kicked out of school. This was a very, very, very low point in my life. And I sat in my car and I was weeping, you know, weeping. Um, my parents knew, his parents knew, um, my brother had known and, you know, God was working things out, but I'm in my car and I'm weeping before the Lord and, um, God just washed over me in that car and I felt the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, I'm going to use even this. And I was so mad. I was so mad. I was like, God, I don't want you to use this. This is the ugliest sin I've ever had. This is the ugliest I've ever felt. This is the lowest, the darkest I've ever felt. How are you going to use this? And the Lord began to minister to me and love on me and, and, and wash over me. But he kept saying, remember how you're feeling because I'm going to use this. Write down your feelings. Write down your feelings, I kept hearing him say. And, you know, the Lord continued to show up. I found the love of Christ to be so real as he poured blessing after blessing into my life. We walked through hardship, but God kept showing up and showing up and forgiving and receiving us and wooing us and drawing us back to himself. And it's a miraculous story for another day. But we found complete freedom in the forgiveness of Jesus. Now, to bring that full circle, oh, probably 10 years after this happened, my, my son uh, was 10 years old. John and I had gotten married. Uh, we were living um, in another city, and John was an associate pastor. And someone came to me and said, would you ever consider applying for a job at our local pregnancy care center? And the Lord brought me completely full circle to become the executive director of a pregnancy care center. And I was able to share that very story with girl after girl after girl after girl. I was able to talk about how choosing life had had been the best decision that I ever made. I was able to tell people about my son and the choices that I made and the things that happened. And God used even that. Because remember in Romans how it says that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And all creation was groaning and waiting for the children of God to be revealed. There were people waiting in the future for me to become a child of God, to realize the love of God so that I could share it, to realize forgiveness so then I could use that forgiveness to help other people. The same will be true in your life. If you would humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, then He will lift you up. His eyes are searching for you. He's searching for someone who is completely His, who will go away from sin, who will cast their sin on Jesus so they can be made righteous and whole. Today, will you confess your sin? Today, will you leave apathy? Will you leave pride behind? Will you search the Word of God? Will you let God search your heart? And will you find peace with God so that you could be the most useful to him and to those around you that you could ever possibly imagine that you could be? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are faithful in every season of our lives. Jesus, I thank you for your forgiveness that is free and offered to everyone because you loved the entire world so much so that you sent your very son that if we would just believe in you, if we would just confess our sins to you, then we can be made whole. Jesus, I thank you that you don't stand there judging us. You don't stand there uh, with your finger pointed at us. 
You stand there with your arms wide open, Jesus, and you say, come. You say, I've already given the sacrifice. I've already given my life. I've already done it. It's already finished. Won't you just come and accept the free gift that I've, I've given you? And Jesus, today we come. And Jesus, today we confess our sins and we know that you will be faithful and you will be just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not a sin that you won't forget, forgive. There's not a person that's too far away. There's not a person that's too far away. And Lord, we don't want the enemy to trick anyone. We don't want the enemy to trick anyone to thinking that they are alone, that they're the only one. Jesus, I pray that we would find other people to gather around us, to encourage us, to walk into forgiveness, to walk into freedom. Thank you, Jesus, for mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. And Lord, we pray the peace that passes all understanding. May it guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. We love you, Jesus. Amen.